We welcome you to the Watchers of the Skies program. Here we are at Ashton University. I'm joined by my colleague, Dennis Montecrusos. Hey, Dennis. How are you, Carlos? It's April 1st. Yep. You, you have you fooled anybody yet today? I'm working on it. So <laughs> you've just blown my cover, but we're good. Glad you're here. We're joined in the studio, as always, by some really talented young people. Strucky Stevens right there on this camera. Kate's running the show. Bryn and Brandon. We're grateful to be here. You know, we're the watchers of the skies. We say the skies are contemporary events. A lot going on in our world. The Ukraine on fire the slap heard around the world at the recent Oscars. We're not talking about those issues today. It's always difficult to decide what to talk about today. We're talking about perhaps the wealthiest author on the planet. I've heard her described as such, J.K. Rowling. You know, I'm gonna make some enemies right away because I'm going to say I've not read a Harry Potter book. Really? Oh, and what was, your, what was your PhD in again? <laughs> yeah, let's change the subject. Uh, how about you? How, how many of those have you gotten through? Um, you read some? I watched all the movies, but oh. I think I only read uh, okay, so. most or all of the first book, but that was it. All right. Well, at least so. we didn't get shut out. <laughs> we might shut down the studio. But, yeah. you know, we're talking about her because I guess it was in June where she wrote a tweet. She tweeted out about... A, tax specialist in England who had just lost a case. She had gotten non-renewed over some things that she had written about gender. And particularly she had said that, you know, that your sex that you're born with, right, is immutable. And that, you know, gender identity was completely different. And she was non-renewed as a result. She appealed the decision, actually lost the initial appeal, and then won. Okay. But Rowling, I guess in June of 2020, right. responding to her, I think uh, Forstater is her last name, Maya Forstater, right. does yeah. that sound right? Uh, she, she just said, listen, it, it's one thing to get fired over something legitimate, but it, all she's talking about is your sex, and that, that shouldn't be controversial. But oh my, it started a firestorm against JK. And until I really read the most recent update that we'll get to in a moment, and that is that even the New York Times has mm -hmm. taken her on. But the backlash against her has been extraordinary. She's even been called a TERF, T-E-R-F, something I hadn't heard before. Right, yeah, I haven't heard that except, I, I think I heard that first from her. And I, I'm not sure I've seen anyone else referred to in that way. So I, I've heard the term in a little bit more common usage. It means trans-exclusionary radical feminist. So the idea, I suppose, is that it's a, it's a form of feminism right. that wants to exclude trans women, meaning a man who transitions to a woman, from being really called a woman. Right. And um, it seems like a term that could be used in a purely descriptive way, but it's really used as a, as a four-letter word in a kind of literal sense, mm -hmm. that it's, uh, it's, it's a bad thing and... Um, it's thrown at her as an epithet on a regular basis. Right, and she, of course, took this to heart. You know, even members of the Harry Potter team, you know, the Empire, have struck against her now. They've, uh, you know, come out publicly against her. They even did some sort of uh, group, you know, protest against her. I even saw that HBO, that did a 20th anniversary recently of the Harry Potter series, Left, some, left someone out, and that was her. Right. She literally wasn't part of it at all. So, so you actually saw this? I, di I didn't okay. watch the okay. special, but I, I read right. about it. Yeah. Right, same thing. So it, it was, uh, 
you know, all of that seems rather extraordinary. Yeah. You know, she wrote, I thought, what was a pretty thoughtful piece, mm-hmm. 3,600-word essay, where she said, I'm going to close the door on this issue for me. And, you know, she talked about the fact she's not transphobic. She right. wasn't talking about trans people, at least not in her mind, but instead was supporting what she thought was a free speech issue. Right. It's remarkable. I mean, she's very much a woman of the left, I mean, in so many respects. Mm-hmm. And on this one issue, she has veered Crossed from over. orthodoxy, mm-hmm. and she's still, you know, persona non grata as a result of that. It's, it's amazing. Yes, you know, she has taken, uh, she has objected to some of the phrases we've talked on this show about before, this idea of woman as a menstruator and those kinds of things. Right. She just said, I'm more than that as a woman, and we're actually being reductive if we're referring to women in that fashion. And this whole debate, it was difficult for us, wasn't it, Dennis, this idea of can we not simply say that this is one of those things that is immutable? Certainly, one has the right to feel differently, and one has the right to feel that they are not, you know, what they would be biologically. But the idea that we're honestly going to argue over boy, girl, man, woman, pronouns, and identities that are very useful— for a number of reasons, and this idea of biological sex versus a feeling. You know, we can't go too far down this separate rabbit hole, but I was recently reading about a couple of folks who have identified as black people who are white. Right. Rachel Dolezal, most famously. She is famous, you know, at least in lots of circles. And to see her, she presents as a black woman, Mm -hmm. but then she later revealed that she was the child of two, you know, white parents. Right. And this idea being, well, why, why could not one say? It seems as though transracial identification isn't seen the same way. I've read some about this. Have, have you as well? I have, and it seems that that's actually moving in a direction towards well. acceptance of this view. So I remember at the time, Dolezal was when, I, I don't think she admitted it. I think it was that people it's kind of checked out. into her background. And, and I think even one of her parents sort of came out and said, no, this is not the case. But, but I think in the last year, I've read that there's much more sympathy for this view, where it's at least now on the table, and the trajectory may be towards accepting this idea of transracialism. Well, one thing our listeners probably don't know, but as an academic professional, one of the things I, I've known for some time is that if a student identifies as black on their application— and this is for any school, the elites and others, unless something has changed very recently, if you put on your application that you are African-American, doesn't matter how you present. Mm-hmm. It's accepted by admissions professionals. There's, there's never any question. I mean, they're not going to do a blood test or some sort right. of DNA test. And I think most people aren't aware of that fact. So you can, at least on your college application, identify from a racial perspective in any fashion that you would like. I'm really taking another jag to the left just to say I, I remember talking to BYU admissions professionals, and they were really struggling because they had a lot of students who are identifying as LDS, Latter-day Saints, and they were not hmm. because they get basically free tuition if they're members of the church. And so they've had to work hard to ensure that these students truly are members of the church. Right, but, but there it would just be a matter, wouldn't it just be a matter of checking a box in terms of a belief statement, which any religious school might have as a requirement? They've actually had to go further and ensure that they're on the rolls or somehow being accounted for within an LDS church. Well, let's go all the way back to where I started, and I apologize 
perhaps for taking us that way. But you know, when you're the watcher of the skies, the skies sometimes will take your eyes in different directions. So at least I'll justify my jag that way. But you know, I, I, I took particular offense, frankly, when I saw that the New York Times now has started a subway ad campaign, this one in Washington, DC, and it focuses on an, an NYT subscriber. Her name is Liana. All we know about her is she appears to be a black woman and she is thinking, right? So yes. she's thinking, what is she thinking about? Yeah, and she's been a subscriber since all of 2020. Right. So, you know, new on the scene, but <laughs> oh. with, with views that must be taken very seriously. Correct. And what's Liana thinking about? What is she dreaming about as, she's, as we're on the subway watching her on the screen? Right. Well, one of the many interesting factors or one of the many interesting traits that Liana bears is that she thinks about the Harry Potter world without J.K. Rowling. I mean, yeah. a world without J.K. Rowling, right. divorcing the author from their work. And, you know, as a lit guy, this is not new information. You know, this is something that people have been calling readers to for quite some time. Right. But that's not what this is about. No. This is not deconstructionism as we would define it. This is, again, a, a cancel culture issue. It's one of the things we've talked about as a campus. We push back against cancel culture. We think J.K. Rowling, we may disagree with her. Many people on our campus do. But she has the right to say these things and to think you're now going to divorce her from her work because this, and here we are, a journalism magnate, you know, this huge conglomerate is taking on J.K. Rowling to say, let's do this. Let's basically divorce her from her work. Her work stands firm. It's the Potter series, all the things we believe in, but not her. She, she no longer deserves our, even, even our thoughts. Right. Well, okay, let, let's push back a bit against that a little bit and say, well, hey, they, they're trying to appeal to a more diverse base. I mean, the New York Times is a stuffy old institution that is read by policymakers and journalists, news journalists across the country and across the world. But to have a model where, you're, where you can survive and you're not just relying on funding from rich people, you want to have a subscriber base and Liana represents a, someone who would not normally be associated with newspaper readership, perhaps. Right. And, and I would say in some ways, if they're taking that angle, I find that offensive because right. I think they're, you know, if they're assuming that because she's black, because she's a woman, I mean, I don't know what I would say for the Times, that she wouldn't be seen as the typical subscriber. And I think you're right in some ways. That may be the angle. But I would say that is as offensive as them taking a shot at Rowling. And I think there are other ways to project that. You know, I think you can project a diverse group of subscribers in another fashion and leave J.K. Right. Rowling out of it. You know, well, I, you know, well, just to push again. Please, yeah, please. So, so not necessarily the, that she's an African-American woman, but mm -hmm. that she's young, young, a young, young radical. Right. Right. So this is the more... Again, kind of the harder left. Got it. And so they're showing they're not just establishment. We're not just part of the uniparty, as some people view Democrats and Republicans, but that, hey, we're, we're very hip to these social issues, and we want to draw in people who are on the further left and not just to be this kind of state establishment newspaper. Well, I think it's difficult to know today whether this was the first in a series, but that was the implication, right? That this is the first in a series of an ad campaign. And if the ad campaign continues to pull rallying into right. it, then we'll have the answer. But I right. think now because there's been this 
condemnation of the campaign, that perhaps they'll make some changes. You don't think the next part of the campaign will be something to attract <laughs> Trump readers, you know, Trump, uh, Trump fans? Well, as much as they want a diverse uh, base of readership, I think uh, they would see that as a bridge too far, but don't want to uh, speak for the NYT. And I think it does go back to this broader issue of free speech, you know, and, and you know, let's give the New York Times their due. They have the right to have a campaign like this, from my perspective, I would want to have a more diverse readership mm -hmm. if I'm the New York Times. I wouldn't want to be seen as an establishment uh, institution. But at the same time, let's choose carefully what we're going to use for the campaign. I mean, it feels like they're taking a fairly obscure issue. I don't know how well known this issue is to the general public. Right. and sending a, a pretty clear message about their opinion about whether or not rallying should be canceled. Right. I, I, I think for me, I mean, you said that they have the right to this. In one sense, yes. In one sense, no. I mean, I'm, I'm all for their taking editorial stands. But I think this is putting their fingers on the scale in a broader way. I mean, it's, it's that they're representing their newspaper. This is not just a representation of their editorial page. Right. Right. So that, that's a sense in which I think it's, it's too far for me, certainly. Well, we're here in the JDM studios at our university, and we've talked to the department chair here about journalism today, and I think it's one of those things that's not easy. Dennis, how do you backtrack from a culture where I read AP stories all the time? I mean, AP with an extraordinary reputation of being unbiased, apolitical, but they're using adjectives all the time to describe a politician, a person in the public view in ways that we would never have seen before. So, you know, without becoming too philosophical, have we entered a new age of journalism where the New York Times action is, is par for the course? I would just say it's, it's a continuation of a trend. I mean, as long as I can remember, for instance, if there was a scandal and it involved a Republican, the straight news reporting would say, Republican politician mm, right. so-and-so. And if it was a scandal involving a Democrat politician, what's this person's party? It's, it seems mm. to be a, some strange journalistic omission. Mm. So, I mean, I think this sort of thing has been around, but, but this is, again, just a, a pretty f extreme uh, statement or a pretty extreme uh, case of this, this, I think, general trend. Well, I think one of the things that will be interesting is to track J.K. Rowling's popularity. She's right. continuing to write. Her fan base is very strong. She seems to indicate that she got a lot of support for what she's written. Right. A lot of folks who, like us, you know, have not read her books, perhaps. I hope, <laughs> hope that's not true of those others. But uh, we, have, we have definitely been derelict in our duty of reading Harry Potter. But, you know, they appreciate her, not only her right to free speech, but, you know, it's, it's so... We're going to talk later about, you know, what's uh, appropriate for work, you know, that sort of thing. But we are in a culture where, my goodness, uh, if you step out of line, if you don't hold to a certain worldview, the curation and the attack just follows. And I just respect her for taking a stand on something. And, and I thought taking a fairly cogent approach to why she fell out where she did. Right. No, it's... it's um on the one hand, you might say, well, she has so much, let's say, financial protection against being mm. canceled that it's not as hard. But no, I mean, to, to be someone who is such a respected 
member of the culture, really. Right. And to, to still stick up for, for her view and not buckle down and make a, a typical apology. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it is remarkably brave on her part. And um, yeah. yeah, definitely good on her. I, I thought one of the things that she pointed out was some of the statistics around what's, what's happening in terms of gender transition, right? These uh, transitions that are occurring, especially among young women. She said she'd heard from some of them directly, you know, who, and we've seen some of these stories, Dennis, right? Where someone years later says, gosh, I, I wish I right. would have known. I just had some gender dysphoria. It's not so unusual for a young person to have. But now, you know, I've changed my genitalia. I, I'll never have children or, you know, those sorts of things. She quoted a statistic that said the increase for women, right? It was generally when there was a, a, a sex change, it was a man changing into a woman. I mean, some, I don't know what the metrics were, but it was extraordinary. Right. Now, the opposite is true. And for young women, it's up 4,400%. She quotes right. that statistic, right? Right. So I think she really feared that there was something else going on here, right? That there was some kind of what Arthur Miller might have called, uh, you know, for one of his plays where he, he talks about almost a hysteria that is cultural, that is within a group, that maybe that's one of the things that's happening. So much of this may be driven by uh, social media. Right. But, well, but anyway. Well, I was going to mention the, uh, I mean, you, I'm sure you've seen this story recently with Disney. Hmm. That uh, Did you see this? So, I don't know. So the last two or three days, apparently there's been some leaked um, internal, I don't know if it was a Zoom call or, or what, within, within Disney, where a number of people said that, no, we're trying actively to include pro-trans, pro, I mean, not just pro-gay, but pro, even pro-trans material in our programming, deliberately aimed at, let's say, influencing the kids who are watching. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, not just kind of passive and that people are necessarily, let's say, recognizing that this about themselves, but there's a cultural push to, to make it more attractive, to make it more appealing. Right. Well, I know you probably have seen the same poster. It's actually a photo of a young child, maybe a second grader in a classroom, and the poster on the door of the classroom is something to the effect, trans people are real, get over it, you know, something like that. And I think having young children exposed to these kinds of ideas is something that is in the cultural discussion. We'll save that for another discussion, but certainly Florida passing a recent law about what can be taught about gender identity to K through three students is one of the things that's being discussed in this broader discussion. But I think you're right when we now see advertisements, right? We're seeing them all the time where it does seem clear that a particular agenda is being pushed. It makes watchers of the skies think we at least had better confront this. And I think that's one of the things that we will continue to do on our program. We don't get it right every time. It's just two, two men, we don't, but it's only two men's opinions about these things. But we hope it's using a national lens, something that is uh, certainly a little bit more conservative, mm -hmm. something that's more traditional, but we hope our listeners appreciate it and give us some feedback. But we appreciate you joining us today on the Watchers of the Skies program. We'll see you next time right here at Ashland University as the Watchers of the Skies. <laughs>